Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Testing, testing, testing. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host. We're going to start off by talking about poop today. That's right, turds poop which I assure you has no tie-in whatsoever to topics of emotional health. We're going to get to talk about aspects of emotional health very, very soon. But for now, let's talk about poop. What in the world is going on with you ladies out there? Your bodies seem to generate unusually enormous... (laughs) poop (laughs) the other day I go into the bathroom and I lift the lid and (laughs) and there's this uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex sized turd (laughs) floating around inside the commode and my first thought was holy mackerel that breaks some records right there (laughs) Oh man, that would that would win some awards. Then my second thought, immediately following the first one was, "Oh dear lord, did I forget to flush the commode? How did how did I forget to do that? What if my daughter had come across that? What what a bad example I'm set for her." But then I realized it could not possibly be mine. I hadn't been to the bathroom that morning. <laughs> It could only belong to my tiny, little, five-year-old little daughter. As soon as this realization hit me, I looked back at this ginormous turd. (laughs) This ginormous turd. And then I look out the bathroom door at my daughter sitting watching cartoons. And then uh, thought about this thing somehow coming out of my little girl. (laughs) And I got worried for her safety. Eloise, Eloise, come here. Honey, are you okay? Jeez Louise, honey, what on earth have you been eating? Did did that hurt coming out? (laughs) No, Papa. Tee-hee, giggle. I should have learned that women produce the biggest turds on the planet back in 1998. I was in my 20s. And I was living with my first wife. And almost exactly the same thing happened. I come home from work one day, went up to the bathroom, lifted the lid to the commode, and there was a Herculean-sized poop sitting there. (laughs) And 
And I had the exact same thought. I thought, oh my goodness, how disgusting of me. I must have forgotten the flush this morning. And my, <laughs> and my dainty little new wife could have seen that and what a turnoff that would be. Then I did the math and, it <laughs> and I realized it was impossible that that turd was mine. <laughs> oh boy, I had the exact same sense of wonder like, no way, no way that Titanic turd <laughs> come out of my little tiny dainty wife's body. But wow, you girls have some extra gene or something that allows your bodies to do some truly impressive things, which is ironic because, you know, uh, it's us boys. It's us boys who are always taking pictures of our poop and (laughs) having (laughs) comp. Oh, having competitions with other boys. But I'll tell you, you girls have us beat hands down. And I mean, hands down. All right. Well, as I often do, I want to remind you of my official website, thelastsymptom.com. <laughs> there you have access. <laughs> oh, brother. All right. There you have access to all the free resources that I provide, as well as the ability to schedule intimate one-on-one phone conversations. <laughs> one-on-one phone conversations with me that's uh the last symptom.com if you'd like to support my work oh boy (laughs) oh man we're gonna get through this i swear oh boy Uh, all right, so thelastsymptom.com. There you have access to all the free resources that I provide, as well as the ability to schedule intimate one-on-one phone conversations with me if you'd like to support my work with a donation, provided I haven't lost you with all this talk about poop. <laughs> you can do that right from thelastsymptom.com. <laughs> oh, even Orson's getting in on this. Did you hear him there in the background? Talk about poop, man. He is a poop-making machine. I just follow him around with 10 million little doggy bags picking up after him all day long. Uh, So, thelastsymptom.com, once again. I appreciate any donation you're able to make. I realize that when uh, people do this, uh, it truly does come from a sense of appreciation for what I'm doing and the desire to support my efforts, so I never take it for granted. Right, Orson? That's right, buddy. Got old Bradbury over there on the couch, too. Ladies and gentlemen, we are rapidly approaching August 17th. It's only four weeks away, more or less. What happens on August 17th? This is when I'll begin what is only the second class of The Last Symptom Fundamentals course. It's an intensive course, which is held by means of Zoom video conferencing, so you can even do it without... uh, feeling obligated to wear any pants, you know, as long as your camera is table height and uh, above, nobody will know. The purpose of the course is to provide you with all the insights you need in an expedited format to move forward on your own and continue building upon four forever. The minimum number of participants is set at six and the maximum number of participants is set at 12. 
you really want to get in on this now while you can. Listen, I don't know if I'm going to offer any more of these courses, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, because they take so much time and energy, and they require so much of my attention. And in the end, the financial support that it brings in, although it seems like a lot on the surface, uh, really is not. Really is not for the, uh, the amount of energy and time and attention that I, that I give it. So it's a good deal for you. And uh, it truly is a really good deal for you. You know, reach, if you're on the Facebook education group, reach out to anybody who attended the first class and uh, they'll give you an idea of what you can expect there. By the end of it, you'll have spent four hours with me every evening for two weeks. That's a total of over 40 hours when it's all said and done. Class participants get full access to me for those two weeks, uh, including outside of the class. In other words, private conversations with me can be arranged at no extra charge during the time that the class is going on. The first class was held back in February this year, 2020, and uh, it was a big success. We truly had a great lineup of people for that course, and I was excited about offering it a second time. Originally, I planned it for this past May, but as you know, a once-in-a-hundred-year pandemic hit planet Earth and sort of set things back. So I moved this second class back to this coming August 17th. As I said, this is only the second time I'm offering this. There's no guarantees that I'm going to continue offering it in the future Live and in person, I should say. I have intentions to offer it in other formats. But uh, you will not get the uh, the direct, live, uh, intimate, personal attention from me if I, uh, if I stop offering this course live and online. So, if you're interested in reserving your seat and securing your spot in that class please run over to thelastsymptom.com, click on Paid Services, and you'll see it there. It's called the West Coast Fundamentals Course. Well, uh, I got to camp out in the backyard with my little girl for the very first time this week. Uh, my little girl's name is Eloise. And uh, so she was begging, she'd been begging to go on these backpacking trips with me in the wilderness that I do. And I keep telling her she's got to be able to carry her own, you know, her own weight. She's got to be able to tolerate all the uh, uncomfortable elements that we encounter out there. The cold, the heat, the, the rain, the humidity, the bugs, the everything. So, uh, you know, she's not quite there yet. She just turned five. You know, I'm thinking maybe when she's nine or ten, it'll be a good time for her to do that with me. But in the meantime, I said, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pitch a tent out here in the backyard. I've never done anything like this before, but you and I'll sleep out in the backyard. So we did, and it was it was a lot of fun. She and I got to uh, spend some intimate time together, you know, getting to, getting to know each other better, sat out there and talked. And she really got to open up to me about some things, and I got to share parts of myself with her that uh, don't usually come up in conversations just because, you know, uh, distracted with life and work and all these sorts of things. So it was really nice to have this uh, quiet time with her out in the backyard looking up at the stars. And we started talking about the stars, what they are, how far away they are, all these amazing concepts that had never occurred to her before. And uh, our conversation turned to 
gravity and how there uh, is no gravity in outer space, which led to a conversation about the International Space Station. And the idea for her that there is a a football field-sized ship circling the Earth up there with people in it just blew her little mind. Then... I got to talking to her about how the people just float around and the things inside the the space station just float around. So I pulled out my phone. I pulled up some videos on YouTube. And this was just wild for her. You know, she just could not believe it. I told her about fallen stars, you know, which are really, really just meteors. And uh, so I said, let's, uh, let's look for one. And I told her a story about when I was a kid. My brother and I, we camped out. Uh, one summer, the entire summer long. And uh, one night, we sat outside of our tent, just lying on the ground, looking up at the sky. And we count over. We counted over 100 fallen stars that night in the length of, you know, maybe 40 minutes to an hour. So I thought, there's a good chance we'll see one if I, if Eloise and I sit here and look at the sky long enough. And we, we didn't get to see one. But... <laughs> Funny enough, the next night when she was not with me, uh, I stepped outside and, you know, I wasn't looking up at the sky, but probably 20 seconds and saw a fallen star. So I, I was thinking, oh boy, Eloise, you, I wish you had been here with me and saw that. But, uh, back to her fascination about zero gravity on the International Space Station. (laughs) We're coming back around the poop. Uh... (laughs) I told her the story, the true story, about the Apollo 10 flight. And uh, you might not have ever heard this before, but on the Apollo 10 flight, astronauts coming back from the moon, uh, they're flying along in Apollo 10. They noticed (laughs) a turd, uh, a piece of poop floating around the cabin with them. And I thought there was an audio recording of that somewhere on the Internet, but turns out there's not. All history has is the transcripts. So I looked up the the transcript and read it to her. And I'm not kidding. She laughed so hard. We laughed so hard each time we read it. She had me read it like 15 times. So I'm probably all laughed out about this transcript, but we'll see. Here's how it goes. (laughs) Now, you know, let's set the stage here. These are the original astronauts. They're up on the moon. (laughs) They're just flying along trying to get back to Earth, Tom Stafford, astronaut named Young, and an astronaut named Cernan. And all of a sudden, Tom Stafford says, Oh, who did it? Young and Cernan reply, Who did what? Cernan. Where'd that come from? (laughs) Stafford. Get me a napkin quick. There's a turd floating through the air. Young. I didn't do it. It ain't one of mine. Cernan. I don't think it's one of mine. Stafford, mine was a little more sticky than that. Throw that away. Young, God Almighty. And there's laughter. And during another instance, Cernan, here's another goddamn turd. What's the matter with you guys? Here, give me a laughter from Young and Stafford. Stafford, it was just floating around. Cernan, yes. Stafford, laughing. Mine was stickier than that. (laughs) Young, Mine was too. It hit that bag, Cernan. I don't know whose that is. I can neither claim it nor disclaim it. Young, what the hell is going on around here? 
man, my little girl, imagining floating turds up in a spaceship. <laughs> oh, just could not contain herself. Oh, we laughed and laughed. Oh, boy. Whew, so let's get away from the uh, topic of poop here for a little bit. How'd you do with last week's episode of the Last Symptom Podcast, the epic sex episode? Well, there were people who fled, to be honest. Uh, But those who fled really shot themselves in the foot. Their own feelings and the control their feelings have over them did them in. Remember how I told you that uh, it's always we ourselves who are our own greatest obstacles to recovery and emotional health. One woman who had uh, chosen, she herself had chosen, to sign up with the last symptom to gain insights she couldn't come up with for herself, immediately said, blocking, and she was gone. Another guy said, what is this trashy porn? Aren't you supposed to be teaching people about emotional health? (laughs) I thought that one was funny. Funny because the emotionally unhealthy guy thinks he's going to learn anything If he only hears what he, the emotionally unhealthy guy, wants to hear in the ways that he wants to hear it. That guy, given those conditions, thinks he's going to learn anything. Well, you know, I'm a fan of Fred Rogers, of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And uh, Mr. Rogers is famous for having said... Anything that is human is mentionable. And anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. That was straight from the mouth of Fred Rogers. Well, I really live by this in my own life, and especially especially in my work here with The Last Symptom. As a rule, anything I hesitate to say here in The Last Symptom is something that I know deep down I must say. I must say it because if it is true and if it isn't shameful, there's no reason in this setting not to say it. What is shameful? Think about what out there uh, is shameful. You're thinking about all the terrible things that have been done and that still happen today and you're thinking nobody should feel shameful and it's true nobody should feel shameful shame is never constructive remember that the reason for this is because shame says that there's something wrong with us it makes us feel bad about we ourselves not what we've done But we ourselves, that we're the problem, not the thing that we've done, but that we're the problem. So shame doesn't make us feel that we have done something terrible, but that we are terrible. As such, it is never constructive. See, if we perceive ourselves as what is disgusting or repulsive or broken or unlovable or distasteful, if we view ourselves that way, what, what is to be done about it? Nothing. You're never going to not be you. If you as a person feel you are 
just innately distasteful. What, if anything, does this motivate you to do differently or to change? Nothing. You can't change what you just believe you are. In fact, do you know what the only thing people who believe themselves to be repugnant and distasteful and broken are motivated to do? Do you know what that motivates you to do? It motivates you to do repugnant, distasteful, broken things. Guilt is constructive. Regret is constructive. These things properly place focus on actions or failure to act. In other words, because guilt says you did something distasteful or terrible, you now have the attitude that you can do it differently moving forward because you're not using it to identify something about yourself. Rather, the focus is on the action, what, what you've done, not who you are. This is constructive. But shame does not place focus on actions or failure to act. Instead, it tells us that we ourselves are terrible. We ourselves are disgusting. So is there anything we might talk about that is shameful? Well, there are shameful things. There are shameful acts. But to feel shameful ourselves is only destructive. There's nothing constructive about that. So as such, we just reject it anytime we realize we're feeling that. So, the whole conversation about sex uh, last week. I can't live by other people's sensibilities because that is allowing others control over my life that they don't have any right to. I can't be untrue to myself, lying to myself that the things I really do think and feel or the things that I've really done are not really what I think and feel or have done. If I can't speak truthfully in a form about emotional health, then the game is already over. I might as well not even be doing this. If you can't listen to somebody talking truthfully in a form about emotional health, then the game is already over. You might as well not even be listening. Of course, there is a time and place for such open honesty. You know, I don't run into my old high school art teacher at Walmart and just start telling him about my sexual experiences and fantasies. I don't sit around, uh, you know, out in the park and just talk with strangers about how amazing it is having sex with college women. There is a time and a place. And, you know, I emphasized over and over again last week that that discussion was not a moral discussion. But if we were going to have a moral discussion... That would change the nature of that conversation quite a bit. You know, I might say that I had sex with a married woman, for example, and it was amazing, and I and I loved the sex, and I think fondly of that woman and, uh, and all these things. But when we get bring it up a moral discussion about it, that would change things. Looking back at that, I, w- I might feel guilt about that. I might feel guilt about having done that with her. The moral aspect, which has nothing to do with emotional health, is an entirely different discussion. But that wasn't the discussion we had last week. Last week, the discussion was just an honest discussion about sex, sexual desire, sexual experiences, that sort of thing. But uh, if you think that I live my life with no regrets about any of those stories I told you, you'd be wrong. As time has gone by, my attention has shifted more to... uh, issues of morality and that sort of thing. But many of the stories I told you at that time 
morality was not a, was not an important consideration to me. I had other, I had bigger, more immediate fish to fry, so to speak. And uh, some of you who are religious, you might say, well, that that doesn't make sense. Well, I would just say to you that fighters, they get hit and they fall on the and lay on the mat there for a while, and they lay on the mat up until the almost the count of ten. They don't do this because they're weak. They do it because they're smart. They know that if they get up at the count of two, they'll just get knocked right back down again. So at that time in my life, and at different times in my life, I realized that when I get hit, uh, and I just don't care about some things that I might care about at, diff- at other times, that this is like me trying to regain my, my strength, catch my breath, my priority at that moment is to get emotionally healthy. Once I'm emotionally healthy, then other things might start mattering to me again. But at that time in my life, uh, many, many of these types of considerations just did not matter to me. So anyway, there's a time and place to have these conversations. And, uh, you know, for the people who fled uh, after last week's conversation, I would just like to say to you, if in this format where we talk about emotional health, you can't have an honest discussion about something because of uh, your feelings. That's something you really need to look at. As Mr. Rogers says, anything that is human is mentionable. If you're not living by that, you're not healthy. If you're looking at human things and pretending that they don't exist or that they're not real or you're not really feeling that, you're not really thinking that when you know you are, that's not healthy. In some avenue or another, you have to be able to talk about those things honestly without pretending them away. So that was a big part of the purpose for last week's conversation, to demonstrate that I reject shame thoroughly and that anything human truly is mentionable as Mr. Rogers would say. All right, let's do some uh, question and answers from this week. One member of my Facebook education group after the uh, epic sex episode last week said, it definitely made me crave the sex that I'm missing out in my marriage. Right, so she's in a situation where her husband has withheld it and isn't interested in giving it to her. My answer was, hang in there. Keep working on gaining an accurate, honest understanding on the nature of feeling, self, and life, specifically things like the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority, the principles of acceptance versus denial, which we kind of just touched on, and the BCCCs of emotional health. I covered that in depth in a recent episode of this podcast. Your life and what you want it to be is not dependent on any external factor, such as your husband and his decisions and what he does and doesn't do. Truly, our individual life and what we want it to be cannot be dependent on anybody or anything else because everybody and everything else is the weather to us. 
and the weather does whatever it will do. But that does not mean the weather has any control over our lives or our choices. You know, remember, we can go get an umbrella, right? We can't change the weather, but we can get an umbrella. We can choose to do some kind of indoor activity for that day. We can wear our galoshes. So, although the weather will do whatever it does, this does not mean it has any control over our lives or choices. So, especially for this person, is the importance of thinking in an honest way about acceptance and denial. So far, she's basing her life choices and making her life what she wants it to be only insofar as much as her husband's choices allow this. So it's important for her to sit down honestly with herself and say, is this really, if this, is this type of life really the way I want to live? Now, if it is, frankly, then she needs to just shut up. <laughs> Not to be too blunt about it or anything, but it, if you're not going to do for yourself what you need to do, for your life to be as you want it to be, and you're allowing your life to be controlled by external forces and what other people do or don't do, you know, you're the problem, not the external forces. You're the problem. And if you're the problem and you're going to just continue living like that, then what purpose is there in complaining about it? Do something for yourself, make decisions for yourself, or stop complaining. That's really what it comes down to. What is denial? It's when we allow our feelings to blind us to realities that just are what they are. Therefore, people in denial form their approaches to life around what could be or might be. What ifs? They form their lives around what ifs. Emotionally healthy people do not do this. Emotionally healthy people proactively manage their lives like adults. And in order to do this and make good decisions, they look at situations just as for what they are. The situation is this. I don't want to continue living like that. And I'm not going to wait around for this person to make my life happen the way I want it to be. I'm in charge of my life. I'm going to make my life what I want my life to be. See, there's no denial in that. There's no denial at looking at a situation and going, boy, you know, see what it what is based in the, this denial. It's based in wishing. I wish he would do this. I wish he were like this. So I'm going to build my, approach, my whole approach to life based on what I wish he were? Do you see the folly of that? I'm going to build my life and live my life based on what I wish he were, but is not. <laughs> what I wish he were, but, it, but that he's not. It's unbelievably um, impractical, ridiculous, when you really think about it. Emotionally healthy people embrace acceptance. And remember, acceptance doesn't mean that we we agree with a thing, and it don't mean that we like a thing. It simply means we look at it and say, yep, that's what that is. That's what I've got to work with, for real. 
So now when you're making decisions, you're making decisions based on reality, on what really is, not on what you wish things were. Well, I'm going to go to the beach tomorrow. I'm going to sit out on the beach and get a tan. But then I get up the next day and it's pouring rain. Do I go to the beach anyway? Do I sit around on the beach trying to get a tan while it's pouring rain on me and think, oh, I really wish it were sunny. So I'll just sit out here, sit out here as if it were sunny, because that's what I wish were, the, were true and just get poured on with the rain? It makes no sense. Well, that approach to life makes no sense. You'll get nowhere that way. So acceptance is just looking at the situation for what it is, basing our decisions based on the reality of what is. I guess that's the most succinct summary of this discussion we've just had. Looking at the situation for what it is, Basing our decisions on what simply is, not on what we wish were the case. Moving on, after last week's show, uh, somebody wrote to complain about a remark I made about masks a few weeks back. Uh, she was upset because she thought that I was injecting opinion into my show. Well, I do inject opinion into my show sometimes. You know, I try to be personable and uh, allow you folks to get a real taste of who I am and my personality and those sorts of things and the things I like, things I don't like. Those are all opinions, right? I like to go backpacking. I love backpacking. That's an opinion. Maybe you hate it. But I did not express an opinion about masks. You know, right now there's this big political debate and worldwide debate about being forced to wear masks or as uh, some people see it as uh, people being stubborn and putting everybody else in danger. Uh, I did mention masks. I did not offer you an opinion about masks. Now, here's, here's what I stated in that program. One, scientists say that masks do not stop aerosol transmissions, that it's like throwing sand through a chain-link fence. Right? So there's one. Number two, the experts say we should wear masks anyway. I'm going to say it again. I stated two truths. One, scientists say that masks do not stop aerosol transmissions that it's like throwing sand through a chain-link fence. Number two, the experts say we should wear masks anyway. Where in that do you hear me saying, don't wear masks? I didn't say that, did I? I didn't say that at all. So what's happening here? The woman listened to me state two truths, and she heard something, literally heard something. She literally heard something I did not even say. That is, don't wear masks. I never said, don't wear masks. I simply stated two truths. So, 
Her argument is that the experts say we should wear masks, which is also a statement that I made. I explicitly said the experts say we should wear masks. But what, she, what is she doing? Because the first truth that I spoke makes her uncomfortable. It could be because of her political ideology. It could be for anything. But it makes her uncomfortable. So what's happening inside of her confirmation bias and denial is kicking in, right? Because she doesn't want to hear all the truths related to the subject of masks. She just wants to hear her truth, the truth that she's comfortable with. Her feelings, for whatever reason, the, the first one that I mentioned, that scientists say that masks don't stop aerosol transmissions, that it's like throwing sand through a chain-link fence, there's nothing at all inaccurate about that statement. Scientists really do say that. <laughs> she doesn't want to hear that, though, because her feelings rebel against it. Because she has feelings of judgment wrapped up in this subject of masks. So her feelings are totally intertangled with it. So she wants truth, but not all the truth. Because not nothing I said was inaccurate. And if nothing I said was inaccurate, where's the problem coming from? It's coming from in within her. What was the, the actual point of me bringing up masks in that discussion? It was to highlight that the experts are fallible. So what is this woman in denial about? She's in denial about the fact that experts are just people who are fallible. I did not in, in any way, shape, or form during that discussion make any kind of statement or suggest that people not wear masks. I simply stated two, two truths. Now, everybody's free to argue about you know, whether people should wear masks or not. That would, didn't have anything to do with me bringing up masks. And everybody's free to have their own opinions on the matter. I have my opinion on it. But in that episode, I did not state my opinion. I stated two truths. Verifiable truths. So in a real practical sense, do you see how our feelings cause us to entirely reinterpret things? We, our feelings can make us hear things that literally were never said. They can make us see things that literally never happened. Or they can make us see th something that did happen and completely redefine it. Or they can make us hear something that's said and completely redefine the message. So lots of things involved there. Denial confirmation bias, all these things. You know, when you catch yourself doing this, break it down. Break it down, you know, simplify, simplify, simplify. Is, is this person really expressing an opinion or are they simply stating a truth? A statement of truth, just a statement of some verifiable reality, does not inherently include judgment or opinion within it. You know, I often talk about acceptance. When I look across the street and there's a blue car there and I go, look, that is a blue car. Maybe I hate blue cars. But do you see how my ability to just state, state, make a statement there of just the reality of what I'm looking at is not 
an expression of judgment or of opinion. No, it's just simply stating a truth. So, two truths. Scientists say that masks don't stop aerosol transmissions. I mean, millions of scientists say this. It's on the box of most of these masks you buy. It says, will not stop aerosol transmissions. And number two, the experts say we should wear masks anyway. Two truths, and nowhere in there is me expressing my opinion or expressing any sort of judgment. I'm expressing just two truths for what they are. So, you know, I wouldn't normally reply to something like this, but I thought it was a good uh, practical learning opportunity. You know, it really shows you how the things we're talking about and learning here, they can't only be applied to, to huge aspects of emotional health and recovery. I mean, these things can be applied practically to everyday life. The way you hear, the way you communicate with people, the way you hear and listen to other people, the way you interpret the things you hear on the news or the, the conversations you have with coworkers, really, in an everyday practical sense, the things we're learning here are useful to uh, allowing you to be more self-conscious and aware of uh, some of these unhealthy tendencies that human beings have and to negate them with your awareness and your... Uh, your consciousness of what is actually happening there. All right, next question. Brian Barnett, would you say that if you felt you'd been treated unjustly and were not able to obtain closure because another person refuses to talk about it, and so then you get angry but maintain a cool exterior, then have a rage in private, are you saying that if you don't beat yourself up about it, then that's how a normal, quote-unquote, normal person feels? The conversation, I think, was uh, talking about how uh, emotionally healthy people don't judge their feelings as good or bad, right or wrong. So this person, again, says, if you felt you'd been treated unjustly and you weren't able to obtain closure because the other person involved refuses to talk about it, so you get angry inside, but you maintain a cool exterior. Then you have a rage in private. If you don't beat yourself up about it later, then that's how a normal, quote-unquote, normal person feels. Well, so many things to, di to dissect there. Here's my answer. Quote-unquote, closure does not come from anything external. This is an unhealthy lie that many of you have been led to believe. Closure is really just acceptance. And acceptance is based on, again, looking at a thing and just seeing it for what it truly is without our feelings rebelling against the reality of it anymore. Notice, uh, acceptance does not mean agreeing with a thing. It doesn't necessarily mean liking a thing. It's merely our feelings not rebelling against the reality of it. Therefore, acceptance is achieved from within from within us. It's not dependent on anything external, such as needing somebody else to do something before one can experience it, or for conditions to be perfect before one can experience it. Do you understand that it's impossible for genuine contentment to be dependent on external things? Since we have no control whatsoever over, 
over other people, and people are always going to do what people want to do. Remember, they're the weather. And we all individually are going to be how we want to be, which is our inherent right. The idea that true peace and contentment depends on other people being how we want them to be, or doing what we want, or the world conforming to what we want, as being necessary for true inner contentment, would mean that nobody would ever be able to experience true contentment. You know, because we're all walking around with free will, and the world is out of our control, this means that true inner contentment can only happen because it is independent of any external factors, like what other people do or don't do, or what is happening in the world, or how much money we're making, or where we live, or how big our house is. So that's the first thing. You know, I myself have been treated unjustly many times, the abuse from my father being the most uh, obvious example. He'll probably never do what I'd like him to do about it. Acceptance allows me to recognize that this reality just is what it is, and then to move on, which in turn allows me to maintain genuine inner contentment. You see, my contentment is not dependent on some external situation being how I want it to be. Remember, mourning, mourning the death of somebody, is an example of denial. Because, you know, your feelings are saying, no, I don't want this to be. This this can't be true. So when does a person emerge from mourning? They emerge from mourning once they accept the new reality. It just is what it is. This is the, this really did happen. And this really is the situation now. So now your feelings aren't rebelling against it anymore. It, you, you know, you still don't like the situation, but your feelings aren't rebelling against the reality of it anymore. Therefore, you're able to move on in a constructive, positive way and uh, maintain contentment. So next, emotionally healthy people don't fake their emotions, as this person suggests. So no, a healthy person doesn't pretend to feel not angry when in reality they are angry, but then go off and allow themselves, quote unquote, to be angry in secret. When we're angry and we pretend that we're not angry, that also is a form of denial. It's an unhealthy form of denial. I'm angry but I shouldn't be angry, right? This is, it goes back to feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong. But unhealthy people don't recognize that. So they feel that there are sometimes feelings that they have that they shouldn't be having. And that's not a real thing. That's not, there's no reality, there's no truth to that at all. Whatever you feel is just what you feel. But an unhealthy person will go into denial. Oh, this is not the correct situation for me to feel angry in. Okay, so don't feel angry. Don't feel angry. That's why I put imaginary quotation marks around allow themselves to be angry. Uh, There's no allowing or disallowing. We don't have control over what we feel. They're simply recognizing what we do feel or not recognizing it. So that's the reason for the quotation marks around allow. The fact that the person would even word it that way 
shows me just how distorted their view of this is. I don't, uh, you know, this situation, in this situation, um, I shouldn't feel sad, right? This is, I'm, this is like this inner dialogue going on. Okay, in this situation, I shouldn't feel sad. It's not appropriate for me to feel sad. So I'm going to feel something different instead until I get off to myself, and then I'll allow myself to feel sad. No, that is so screwed up what we just, that whole thing I just said is so screwed up. It's such distorted, unhealthy thinking. The healthy person says, I feel sad. And there's nothing good or bad, right or wrong about that. It's just what I feel. Because they accept what they feel, they're able to analyze it and figure out why they feel that way rather than pretend they don't and then go off and and cry or, you know, allow themselves quote unquote to feel what they they already feel anyway whether they allow it or not that's just what they feel when healthy people are angry they express their anger and they do this in a calm assertive style they don't pretend not to be angry and they don't allow their feelings to dictate to them how to handle situations they feel the anger they recognize that they feel angry They use their analytical thinking to analyze why they feel angry. And if these feelings are telling them something that should be taken care of, they then make a decision about what to do about it in a calm, assertive way that does not hide the fact to others that they're angry. For example, the healthy person might say, what you just did makes me extremely angry, and I'll tell you why. And and this is what I need for you to do now. Or they'll say, And this is what I'm going to do about it. And I don't mean punch the other person. I mean make a decision for themselves. Like, I'm going to go off for, I'm going to go uh, stay in a hotel tonight. Or, you know, I'm going to go and I don't want to talk to you for, for a couple hours. I need to work this out. Or any number of things. But... You see how they're making a decision for him. He's making a decision for himself or herself. Notice the feelings are not in control. The feelings are providing information. The healthy person himself or herself is the one in control. The healthy person's using the feelings as information rather than the feelings choosing for the person how to behave. Now listen to this. Healthy people don't beat themselves up over what they feel. They do beat themselves up over things they do or don't do that they realize could have been handled in a better way in the sense of feeling regret or guilt. But they don't judge whatever they feel as being good or bad, right or wrong. I get the feeling a large portion of my audience needs to spend much more time thinking about the implications of that than they they have done. Feelings are not good or bad, right or wrong. Therefore, there's no such thing as, oh, I'm angry and I shouldn't be angry. <laughs> I'm sad and I shouldn't be sad. Or um, I'm sad and, this is, and, I, should, and I, uh, uh, I, I can't be sad here. I have to wait until I get home. <laughs> that, it's so screwy. All that is just so screwed up, that thinking. Feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong. 
if the the broader implications of that has have not hit you yet, you know, you really need to spend more time on that. All right, one last question. I thought language such as you make me angry or you make me sad or you make me this or that was victimization. Here's my answer. It is, but there's casual speech and there's literal speech. So when healthy people say, you made me mad. For example, I just I think I just said it in the example I gave just a minute ago. You, you know, you made me mad. This isn't literal talk. This is casual talk. And the healthy person knows other people or external things do not literally have the ability to generate feelings within our within us. And the healthy person understands the broader implications of this reality. So if a person is not healthy and does not truly understand the nuance that external things do not have the power to generate feelings inside of us, you know, so it, if you're talking to somebody and you're getting angry at, because of what they're saying, what they're saying has no power to generate your feelings. They're not somehow controlling your body. You are generating the feelings. You're taking what they're saying, you're combining it with your own thoughts and interpretations and perspectives, and you yourself are creating your anger. Your body's generating that. It doesn't come from outside of you. So we are all self-contained machines, and only we ourselves are responsible for generating whatever we feel. Now remember, emotional disorder and emotional unhealth comes from a misunderstanding of the inherent nature of things like feeling self and life. In this case, what would you say the where would you say the disorder is coming from? The misperceptions. The misperceptions are coming from an inaccurate, unhealthy perspective about the nature of feelings. Literally, on a subconscious or unconscious level, many unhealthy people believe, they don't know they believe it, but they do believe that the other person is responsible for their feelings. <laughs> the healthy person realizes this is not true. I may be getting mad at what you're saying, but I'm making myself mad. I'm making myself mad, and I'm using what you're saying to do it. But the other person's not, not responsible for it. They have no ability to make me feel anything. So, if a person's not healthy, they should avoid language like this until they fully understand the true nature of these things and have made permanent adjustments to their subconscious perceptions. But once this is established then casual talk and casual expressions like, boy, you really made me mad, are really not that big of a deal. But especially in the early stages of recovery, until this gets established, I would say it's pretty important, yes, to avoid talk that reinforces the erroneous concepts they already live with about the nature of feeling self and life. Well, folks, that's the program for today. I want to remind you one last time of thelastsymptom.com. 
Also, the last symptom fundamentals Zoom course coming up August 17th. If you want more information about that, please run over to thelastsymptom.com. Click on the paid services tab. Scroll down to the fundamentals course. I think it's West Coast fundamentals course. Uh, if you click on it, you know, you're not going to be obligated to pay anything uh, until you're ready. But uh, if you click on it, you'll get more information there that uh, you might like to look over. And with that said, this is Brian Barnett signing off. Thanks for joining me this week. I hope to see you next week. Take care. Mm-hmm.